G'day. <laughs> I'm live again. Live for the last time from Europe for at least another few months anyway. So I'm currently currently in Czech Republic, which apparently you can also call Czechia, which is preferred. Anyway, I'm in Prague. <laughs> Let's go with Prague. Uh, I'm warm. <laughs> I've got about three hours, three hours until we get taken to the airport and finally get to go home. And our room looks like our suitcases have just absolutely thrown up all over the place. It's a complete and utter <laughs> disaster zone, which is what happens after, what are we at now? It's not even three weeks of travel anymore. It's like three weeks and two days or something like that. So it's time. It's definitely time to go home. Looking forward to this. Uh, all right, let me start with <clears throat> the sponsor bits and pieces. G'day Danny, thank you for joining. Uh, where are we? Who is it today? Who could it possibly be? It is Report Your RI today. So Report Your RI is probably not like a foreign concept to many people listening to this. Uh, that is the project Scott Helm started that I have been involved in with Scott for some time as well. Uh, it's a well-known quantity, but let's do the thing anyway. I'm going to tell you where this message came from the moment too. <laughs> Report your RI, guarding you from rogue JavaScript. Don't get pwned, get real-time alerts and prevent breaches. Hashtag secure your site. Now, where the message came from is, uh, I said to Scott when we lined up the sponsorship, I said, look, just give me a message, 140 characters long. Uh, I'm going to read you exactly what I said to him, actually, because I've got the message here. So give me, a, give me a message, 140 characters long, and a URL, and that's all I need. It's simple, right? And you started the project, so you know exactly what it is. It's going to be a no-brainer. And he's like, dude, I'm, I'm struggling. It's like, I'm struggling to come up with this message. You know, what do I do? So what do you do these days when you're trying to come up with a well-worded message? I go to ChatGPT. Write a pitch with not more than 140 characters about how the Report URI service stops you from being pwned by rogue JavaScript. Next minute, here we are. Scott's like, yep, awesome, sounds good, job done. Now, to embellish a little bit more on Report URI and not just the level of our creativity and our increasing dependence on our AI overlords, Report URI does a whole bunch of different things, but probably the thing it's most well known for is being a report endpoint for content security policies. So if you've not used content security policies before and you're building websites, go and do this. They're built into the browser. They're totally free. You can set an allow list of all the different sort of content types that should come from different locations. If any rogue JavaScript gets inserted, thank you ChatGPT for the suggestion on that, then you can raise a report and of course block the JavaScript as well. And this stops all sorts of common attacks that we've seen in the industry lately, particularly most noteworthy things like Ticketmaster and, and British Airways are a couple of the biggies. Browse Aloud I've written about many times before. Go and check it out. It is an awesome service using free tools in the browser and then you pay a little bit of money if you want all the reporting features in the report URI. There you go, Scott, how's that? <laughs> that was good. Who else is here? Brian, it's a good morning for Brian, so he's my side of the world. Marcus and Arvo, so he's probably where I'm going, the Savo side of the world. Uh, and Steve, a sunny bonjour from the Beaujolais. Hmm. Going to France in December. I'll talk about that more, maybe as we get closer to December. All right, speaking about talking about stuff, what was I gonna talk about? Oh, <laughs> probably start with where I am. So I am, as I just mentioned before, I'm in Prague, in the Czech Republic. I got here, I think I got here on, on Monday. So last time I did this video, I was in Oslo. Uh, short little flight, 
relatively speaking, from Oslo down to Prague. My first trip to Prague, second time for Charlotte, so she had a bit of an idea of what she was doing. It is a super, super cool city. If if I was to liken it to the, I guess, the next closest city that I've been to in terms of the, the look and the feel, it feels a lot like Budapest. There's a, a big river, classic old buildings, uh, a, lot of, a lot of history maintained. They apparently have the world's largest castle. Now, every time I hear a claim like that, of course, I go to Wikipedia <laughs> to try and figure it out. And it's like, it is the world's largest contiguous castle. Not exactly sure what that means. Uh, and then they're like the third, like, let's just call it a big castle. <laughs> it's up on the hill. So we've been walking around seeing all those sites, like cobblestone streets everywhere, really beautiful classic old buildings. Uh, it's just a, it, it is a, a visually beautiful place. And particularly at night when all the lights come on and they're like shimmering on the water. Uh, it's, it's, just a, it's just a lovely sight. So this is probably, I guess, along with Oslo, the, the most time we've had to actually enjoy ourselves. But we have had a whole bunch of the cyber-related things as well. Uh, I guess going in chronological order, uh, one of the, the coolest things we did here is I went and met Joseph Prusa uh, when we got here on Monday. Now, it's, it's kind of, in a way, accidental the way all this came apart apart about nothing's come apart print is fine we'll get to that um, I was uh, I was doing a very long road trip with Charlotte two and a half years ago uh, and I documented this extensively at the time we drove all the way up to to Port Douglas in Australia and then we drove into the center of Australia to Uluru got engaged then we drove down to Cuba Pedy stayed in a cave which is what you do there and eventually down to Adelaide and stayed with a friend of mine, a childhood friend. And he had a Prusa 3D printer. And it looked so cool. And he had two little kids, just a little bit younger than ours, and they were printing so much stuff and they were making things that they could hold in their hands and play with. And, and the girls absolutely loved it. And I was like, this is so cool. I've wanted a 3D printer, but I feel like it's going to be one of those things where I get it and then I either invest a whole heap of time and I've got no time left to do other things, or it just sits there and I don't get to use it properly. So I went, all right, just go online and order all the things. Actually, I think before that, because it, you know, it's a Prusa, and I'm like, all right, this is a man of mine, he's, he's a teacher, he's not so much in our dedicated tech circles. Has he chosen the right thing? Is this the best printer for me? And I went online, I was like, okay, folks, what sort of 3D printer should I get? And like overwhelmingly, people said, go and get a Prusa. So I go online. And I was like, just tick all the boxes, order me all the things. Uh, and, and one of the things he said, when you order a Prusa, you can order it fully made. So you pull it out of the box, turn the power on, you're good to go. Or you can buy it for a couple of hundred dollars less as well as a kit. And then you have to build the whole thing yourself. And this mate of mine, and, and his, his education is around engineering and things as well. So he's a handy guy. He says, look, buy the kit. Because if you buy the kit, you have to build the whole thing yourself. And then you will learn how it works. And later on, when you have to maintain it, you'll have a much better idea what you're doing. So I did that. And if I'm honest, it was a bit daunting <laughs> because there's so many different bits and pieces. And then some of it's going to get several degrees hot and all these moving things and greases and bearings and stuff. But instructions are epic. I went through the whole thing, built it, worked from memory straight out of the box. And we've got must be thousands of hours of printing on it now. I know there's a little display somewhere. We've used it so extensively to do everything from, I print a huge number of 3D logos for Have I Been Pwned, a lot of which I've brought over here with me, 
through to the kids use it really extensively for designing everything from uh, like name tags to put on their bags, with the, sometimes they do it with their friends. They uh, design uh, things like birthday invitations. They download a lot of models from the internet and then print the models. Anyway, it's been epic. So it was really, really cool to, to go to Prusa. Joseph and I had had a little bit of turn fro online because I'd mentioned Prusa at some point. And then for reasons that still surprise me, I tend to stand out <laughs> a little bit on the internet these days. So we'd, uh, we'd had some chats and he was always like, you know, come to Prague, I'll, uh, I'll show you around. So we went there and he showed us around the, the Prusa facilities. Uh, and it's, it is amazing what, what these guys have done. Uh, now there's him and a couple of co-founders as well. He's his brother and another person with the same surname. I'm quite sure all that's public knowledge. But it, it's fascinating you know, I live in a world where everything we do is digital. All of our overhead and all of our resources are like servers in the cloud. You know, and our office is our home. And you go there and it is a large manufacturing facility. I mean, they're building everything from the printers through to all the QA they need to do on it, through to a bunch of CNC machines to things, injection molders. <coughs> they create their own filament there. Watching how filament is made. That's cool. It's like all these little plastic particles that go into a big box and then the filament runs through almost like wool, right? Like he's spinning wool that gets wound onto these spools. Uh, and then, of course, all the logistics of packaging and shipping. And it's, it is now a large organization that employs hundreds and hundreds of people to, to build these printers and, and support this, this wonderful thing that they've made. Uh, and it was an absolute joy to like go there and see how this thing works. This thing, of course, being the organization. I did tweet a photo of him and I standing in front of the, uh, one of the print farms. There's this massive farm of, uh, of active printers, which is, um, which is kind of fascinating to see them all there working together. Uh, and it was, it's the other thing that's fascinating is all the Mark III's like I have on one side and all the Mark IV's, like I don't have the new ones, on the other side and to see how much faster they were. He's tempting me. He's tempting me. Anyway, we spent time with Joseph, went out and had some dinner with him uh, as well, and it was just an absolutely fantastic, um, fantastic time. Now, it's, it's interesting, Wayne here has just said, Bamboo is big competition for Prusa. Uh, yeah, it, absolutely, Bamboo's getting a lot of traction lately. Uh, Bamboo's Chinese company, It, I think they have somewhat of a different philosophical approach to Prusa. If I'm being entirely objective about it and not just being friendly to Joseph, I, I think the competition's really good. Um, before Bamboo, it was, it was like there was Prusa and, and Ender and a, and a few others that even like traveling in general 3D printing communities, we really rarely ever heard of. So uh, I would say a bit of pressure on Prusa is a good thing. What else is happening here? John, Chile, UK. George is in Austria. Uh, Trevor has just finished building a Mark IV with my son. Uh, how was it, Trevor? Did it go well? Danny says, Prusa has been dominating the market until bamboo. Uh, so, yeah, again, I think we're in the, in the competition is healthy realm. Other things in, uh, in Prague. So we did that. That was Monday, Tuesday morning, uh, opening keynote for Experts Live EU. This was a great conference. It was a really, really, really good fun conference. Uh, very Microsoft-centric conference, which is fine for me. <laughs> That's not your thing. Maybe it's not the best one for you. But uh, great conference. 
I speak at so many events every year, uh, obviously a lot remotely at the moment, but of course a lot in person over the over the course of the last decade. And I would say that this was this was probably one of the one of the ones that I think had the most build up to it because for months and months in advance I was seeing so many tweets about this event. And what made it fun is they <laughs> fun for me and fun for other people. They're like these massive printouts of my head. <laughs> that were obviously at other events as well. And people were tweeting me from other events with them standing next to this big photo of my head. And then I turn up at the event on Tuesday and I got a photo of me with a big photo of my head. And then I'm on the stage and there's another big photo of my head right under me. Uh, so look, they put a lot of promotion work into it. Uh, lovely people that organized it as well. Just really, really nice, genuine people who we end up spending a bunch of time with. So I did the keynote Tuesday morning. That went really well. That's a good fun. Uh, did a like a Q&A thing afterwards. Went out to the uh, back to the event, had the dinner on Tuesday night, had a speaker cruise with all those folks Wednesday night, which ended very early yesterday morning. <laughs> it's very late for someone who normally goes to bed at nine something to be out until 1am. But it was really good fun, really lovely people. So big, strong recommendation for Experts Live in the coming years. Other than that, one of the highlights of this trip, and I would say... One of the things that's become a highlight for other people reading Twitter or X or whatever we call it, <laughs> based on the number of likes and engagements. Yesterday we went to a beer spa. Now, you know what beer is and you know what a spa is. What if you mix the two together and you can have a spa in the beer while drinking beer? I first learned about this when we were walking along the street here, it must have been Monday, walking along the street and we're going past this place and I'm like, what? <laughs> and the photos in the front of this place are like two people sitting in their own like big hot tubs, which indicate that they have beer in the hot tub with taps next to them. And I like taps to fill water, but taps to fill beer like you'd find in a pub. And I'm like, where has this been all my life? <laughs> like, this is amazing. We have to do this. So we booked it in. There's a bunch of places in Prague that do it. Uh, we booked it in. We went there yesterday. I posted some photos, other photos I can't post. You get an idea why when you have a look at them. But um, we're sitting there in these two hot tubs with, with four beer taps between us because there's a light and a dark tap for each person. And there's two mugs for each person as well. And it's like you get an hour, all the beer you can drink while you're sitting in the hot tub. And then after that, they have like, this sounds super erotic putting it this way, there's like a bed in the corner that's just straw and then there's some sheets you can put down. And, and the idea is, is that you sit in the hot tub, you have your beer, you go and lay on the bed of straw, I assume just to relax, who knows. <laughs> when you take your beer with you, and if you end up running out of beer, you get up and you get, it, it was amazing. It was so much fun. I think it's the sort of thing you kind of do once, because after that, it's like, yep, done that. Um, it was cool, it was fun. I would, I would suggest it as something that is more enjoyable with your significant other uh, as opposed to with friends. It just felt like that, that giving too much away. Anyway, that kind of place. Now, one of the reasons these beer spas appear to be popular, it's, it's not like, well, the ancient Czechs used to bathe in beer for longevity. Uh, the, the guy down at the uh, down at the concierge, when we were asking, like, which is the best beer spa to go to, because there's a bunch of them, he's like, you know, we've really only been doing this for 15 years. <laughs> you know, It's not like some ancient thing. But um, anyway, we went and uh, 
we went and did the beer spa. And one of the reasons beer is such a big thing here uh, in Prague and, and Czech Republic in general is that they have the highest per capita consumption of beer anywhere in the world. Now, that was another one of those figures where I'm like, I'm hearing a hyperbolic claim <laughs> that I need to verify. But you go to Wikipedia and you look for beer consumption by country. And I think from memory, before Prague, like the second highest consumption was like 100 litres per person per year. Now, I assume I only mean adults here, but that still feels like a very large amount of beer. I mean, that is, that is a beer every single day on average. And of course, there's a bunch of people that either don't drink beer or don't drink alcohol at all. So that seems like a large number. So it was like, you know, 100 and then the third one was 99 and the fourth one was 98. Uh, Czech Republic, 140. <laughs> so that was like 40% more beer consumption per capita. I will say, based on many of the beers I've had here, including the beer while we were in the beer spa yesterday, it's not quite like the beer at home. It's a very easy drinking beer. Uh, I didn't see the percentage on it, but I'd guess I'd say it was like a 4 percentish kind of beer. So it's not like going home and you order an IPA and it's like 6 or 6.5% or something. So maybe the per capita alcohol consumption is actually much more comparable. I don't know. So anyway, that's been Czech Republic. The place that we've been staying in here, it's, it's uh, as a room, it's like, it's, it's a room, it's not bad. But what's been lovely about it is they have a, a courtyard there, a really nice garden area, some lovely tables out there, uh, a proper pianist sitting there playing the piano, and the sun's been shining, and we've just spent hours and hours sitting out there in the courtyard doing all of our normal emails and things, ordering a bottle of wine, put some photos on, on X. Let's try and start doing that. I put some photos on X yesterday about that. It's been lovely. All right, comments before we get on to other topics. Uh, so Trevor said uh, this is about his Mark IV, building the Mark IV with his son. Uh, yeah, nice project. Great satisfaction to have a working printer at the end, isn't it? Like there's something very satisfying about building stuff with your hands. And I wonder if that's partly because for me and probably many of you, like most of the stuff we build is with the keyboard and it's digital and you can't hold it. And I think there's actually one of the nice things about the 3D printer. You end up with a tangible product that you can see and feel. All right, well, I'm pretty much just down to the data breach stuff. So two data breaches to talk about this week. In fact, that's good because that will leave me time to go out for a walk and try and get some exercise before I get on the plane. DB forums. Now, oh man, this is... This is frustrating. This is very frustrating. Let me get the stats for DB forums. The main reason it's frustrating is because I'm in it. <laughs> so, uh, now I, uh, it was one of these ones where, I think I've said before, there is a huge amount of data that I'm sitting on that I am yet to process and load into have I been pwned because time. And I have it sitting the stuff that I'm currently processing, I have it sitting somewhere readily accessible. And every now and then, some trigger will pop up where I'm forced to sort of go back and have a look at whether or not I actually have this corpus of data. Now, the trigger was I found myself in this breach via another service. Uh, and I went to this service and I sort of listed all the breaches I was in. I was like, yep, 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 know all of those. And I was like, oh, hang on a second. DB forums, 
Now I had a recollection of what DB forums was. It is database forums. And I had a recollection many, many, many years ago of having used this forum to ask a database related question. It's probably before we even started doing all this stuff on Stack Overflow. And uh, I go and I search through my repository of things to yet process and there it is, DB forums. And I go into the data and I go down to my record and I say, yep, yep, <laughs> that's, that's me. And there was news about it as well. There was news about it from years ago. I, I can't remember when I got the data. I could probably got a file stamp somewhere, a timestamp. So I loaded that in. The stats were uh, 362,000 accounts breached in 2016 uh, via their vBulletin-based forum. I always give vBulletin a mention if the forum was a vBulletin, even if it was like an IP board or something, like I'll mention it because I just think it's interesting to see how many vBulletin data breaches there are and have been found. Data included email, username, IP, date of birth, and salted MD5 password hashes. 78% <laughs> were already in Have I Been Pwned. <sighs> and that makes 30 data breaches for me. That is the round 30 number. I've hit 30 data breaches. Well, actually, I've hit 30 data breaches just for one email address, my, my old Hotmail address. The email addresses I have on Have I Been uh, on uh, TroyHunt.com. Uh, there's a few of them in data breaches too. So let's call it three dozen. I'm at the three dozen data breach mark. Uh, now, just saw a couple of comments come in here. Uh, Sab, Sab S says, welcome to CZ. Beer here is about 4%. So you can drink more, especially refreshing during summer hot weather. Yeah, yeah. It's an, uh, There's a paradox here where, particularly if you're a beer snob like me, um, <laughs> I find the most flavoursome beers or the beers with the most unique kind of experience are usually a lot more than 4%. I'd say 6 to 8%. Beyond that, it's just getting a bit stupid. Uh, less than that, I find that they are often a bit watery. I'd say the exception is there's some very nice sours that might be only like 3%, and you can sit outside in the sun and drink them all day long, and they're wonderful. So I, I feel like when I'm, drinking that, <laughs> when I'm drinking that beer whilst bathing in the beer... I'm drinking beer, but it's its not that I could be drinking water. I'd rather be drinking the beer, but it's not the same experience. Yes, okay, 4% reconciles that. John says, might have missed the tweets. If so, but did you end up doing your visit to McLaren whilst I were in England? Oh, boy, did I go. Hope it went well if so. Right, we're going completely off topic now, but I'm passionate about this, so I'm going to give you the story. McLaren is a very... It, it, it's viewed as a very high-tech company, a high-tech supercar company. Uh, I imagine that as far as the Formula One team goes, they're as high-tech as everyone else, even if they're not at the front of the pack at the moment. Although they did okay the other day. So, very high-tech company. Now, their road cars, and for those listening not aware of all the background, I do have a McLaren. We bought a 720S earlier this year. Uh, and this is part of the story. Their road cars are viewed as being <clears throat> very fast, very efficient, but perhaps lacking the emotion of a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Uh, and there are all sorts of reasons why I wanted the 720. But and I think part of it is I am a very technical person and I just, to me, a lot of the beauty is in the function. I also think it's the best looking car, but that's a different thing. Now I have coveted this car for many, many, many years since it first launched, I think I first saw it launched in about 2016. And I was in London around 2016 and 
I was at NDC, NDC London, and I was there with Lars Clint, many of you know, friend, <laughs> friend of the show. He's often here. And someone from McLaren reached out and said, hey, I'm from McLaren. Would you like to come out to the McLaren Technology Centre, the MTC, and talk to the, the tech team about cyber things? And then we'll, we'll show you around McLaren as well. And I was like, yes, I'd like that very much. Can I bring my friend? <laughs> so Lars came out as well. I remember he had his HoloLens as well. HoloLens was fairly new at the time. So we went out, uh, spoke to the tech team, got shown around. And when we went out there, uh, a couple of interesting things happened. So number one, we got these VIP badges. They're very, very cool. I still have a tweet up there with you showing the VIP badge. Got this around the neck. We've gone out there from a tech conference. So it's, it's jeans, it's hoodies, it's backpacks, you know, the proper formal tech conference <laughs> uniform attire. But we've gone into this environment where the McLaren Technology Center, it, like I've been to some different, uh, different car manufacturers before. I've been to uh, many, many years ago into BMW somewhere in Germany. I can't remember where, a few others. And they're efficient and they're organized, but McLaren felt like, it's almost felt like a hospital in terms of like the cleanliness and the clinicalness of it. And that was everything from, uh, everything is so like white and spotless through to when you get in the elevators, the elevators are not square, they're round because they're meant to look like a piston. Uh, and, and there's just the expense that went into making the thing just this super, super cool place. If you haven't seen them at Claren Technology Center before, if you have a Google of it, a little bit reminiscent of like the whole Apple Campus spaceship thing. Now, we've gone out there and this guy's showing us around and, uh, and he was telling us about the fastidiousness of the organization. And this was a time when, when Ron Dennis was still CEO as well. And he said, look, on one occasion, Ron Dennis um, had people go out and clean the rocks in the car park. <laughs> because the rocks were dirty. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems feasible based on what the, the organization was like. Anyway, I'm getting to the point. So he's taking us around the place. And one of the cool things about the McLaren Technology Center is you've got all the back office folks like this guy who was a programmer. Uh, and you've also got manufacturing there in the same place. It's not like there's you know the headquarters in the city and then somewhere out in the middle of nowhere in Brazil or something is manufacturing. This was all in Woking in the UK. And he takes us out to this area where we're standing up on a platform and we're looking down at the production line. And Lars and I are there going, oh, this is awesome, this is so cool. And we see down on the production line someone in a very fancy suit. Most of them have very fancy suits, even the guy who was the developer, and he would have been, I'd say he would have been mid-twenties, um, a bit younger than us, uh, a lot younger than us. He was, he was still in like pants, and I think he had a blazer and a shirt. You know, it was very, very formal. So he takes us up, we're looking down the production line, fancy suit guy comes walking up, and he looks up at us like that. And in a, what's a, what's a nice way of putting this? Ah, stuff it, forget it. In a very snotty British way, you know what I mean when I say this, right? You can picture it like someone who just just had that air of upper classness looks up and he's like, who are you guys? And our host is like, they're VIPs. And Lars and I are like, oh, VIP thing. And I kid you not, exactly what the guy said is he said, well, we have some VVIPs coming. Can you please leave? I was like, fuck you, man. It's like, this is such an obnoxious. It, it just left an indelible impression on me. Not so much about McLaren as the brand, but the snootiness 
And for someone who was looking at this thing as an aspirational, per- like one day in my life, I will have the opportunity, you know, this is a, a like a life goal. Uh, but I, I left there feeling pretty pissed off about it. Now, I'm not sure how much of this was the experience in working and that upper class attitude because it's completely different to every experience I'd had at McLaren on the Gold Coast. And I was going in there for years and years just going, can I please look at the cars? You know, like I just want to look at the cars before eventually we ended up buying one of them. So I was really excited. I know it's a really long answer to your question. I was really excited about going back to the McLaren Technology Centre. So when we bought the car earlier this year, I said to McLaren locally, look, Charlotte and I, we're going to go to the UK. Can you organise us a visit? I want to go back there. And secretly, I really want to find that guy again. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to turn up there with my hoodie and my T-shirt and my backpack and go, remember? No, you wouldn't remember me because you're probably a dick to a whole bunch of people. So we had it all lined up. And then, uh, then unfortunately... We didn't. And what seems to have been the case is that we were meant to be on like a tour through there and the tour just uh, unfortunately got overbooked or then they weren't available in those days and I had the McLaren folks in Australia who we just spent an enormous amount of money with because they're not cheap cars. Massively, I was so sorry. We've tried everything we can. We were even like, can a cleaner take you around and just show you the place? So we thought it had all fallen apart when we headed over to the UK. And then at the last moment, they said... We've managed to work something out. We can get you a tour of MSO. Now, MSO is McLaren Special Operations, and they are the folks that customise the cars. So it's one thing to just go, to, to just go, yes, I'd like to buy a McLaren. It's another thing to say, not only do I want to buy one, but I don't want the options that you have on the brochure. I want to have it this exact paint scheme. <clears throat> I want to have it trimmed like this. I want the leather from my cows in the field to be on the seats. Uh, I want really crazy way out stuff. And that's what MSO does. Now, there are MSO options you can get on the normal car. Our car has a few different MSO options, but they're still like catalog things. But for the most part, they do all the cool customization stuff. So I was like, yeah, cool, let's do that. Now, MSO is, it's still in working, but it's separate from the main MTC. It's, I think it was a couple of kilometers away. So McLaren Australia said, look, you know, we've lined this up. Uh, The guy that you would normally talk to if you're optioning your car, he will take you around and he'll show you MSO. So I went, okay, this, this is actually probably going to be really good. So we went there and it's a very, it's like the opposite to the MTC. It's a very basic kind of uh, location. It's, it, it's not that it feels run down, but it just feels like it's, it's, it's like any other industrial zone anywhere in the world. So we go there uh, and the guy I met was lovely. Super, super nice guy. Also a nice suit. Was it a full suit? Nicely dressed. Super nice. And he said, look, you can't take any photos because there's a lot of customer cars in here. So I have no photos. I can only recall things from memory. But it was a very small premises. But some of the stuff we saw is a lot of SLRs. Now, it's not the camera sort of SLR, but a lot of, uh, a lot of Mercedes McLaren SLRs. So these are the, the, um, the partnership they did like 15 odd years ago. The cars looked awesome. Apparently, they weren't the greatest cars in the road world to drive. But there was a lot of them there, and they were doing HDK uh, transformations. These are the high downforce kits. Um, if you're interested in cars and you haven't seen this before, Google uh, Mercedes McLaren HDK and you'll see. So they had a lot of those cars there. They're doing customizations on. They had a couple of McLaren F1s, uh, not the race car, but like literally the Formula One Gordon Murray style from the 90s. One of the cars on the hoist, he's like, yep, that's a 20 million pound car. 
20 million pounds for a car, an old car. Anyway, so they had a couple of those there. And then they're doing a bunch of like custom paintworks on, on uh, 750s, the successor, a brand new successor to the car we just bought, 765s. Uh, pr pretty much every McLaren model you can imagine, they were there doing all of these like wild customizations on. And we had this, this one guy just taking Charlotte and I around explaining how they do everything from the wild paint schemes through to the pinstriping, through to the custom interiors. And it was fascinating. It was awesome. We had the absolute best time and I think it was so much better than what we would have seen in the MTC. And it makes me, it gives me another aspirational thing, right? At <laughs> some time in the future, I would love to order a McLaren and just have it like completely bespoked out. Um, Maybe the successor to the 750. The successor to that is going to be hybrid. It's going to be so much better in every way, I'm sure. So long answer to your question. But yes, we did get to go and see a whole bunch of McLaren things well and truly beyond what I expected to see. All right, where are we? So that was John. Paul, penis is one of those words you want to be careful with pronunciation. Yep, <laughs> I'm with you there, Paul. Wayne says, uh, that's what's fun about messing with electronics. It's a mix of code and physical. Agree with that. Ben, I'm quite enjoying my hop water this Arvo. Still got quite a mellow feeling from it. Zero percent alcohol. I don't know if mellow and zero. You sure it's zero? It wasn't one zero? <laughs> Ben's mellow. Steven says, Morning Troy, have you been enjoying your European road tour? Uh, yep, yep, right on the end of it now. Two hours and 20 minutes till we get in the car and, and head away. Timok977, given there's a constant stream of hacks revealing more and more information about us, will we ever reach a point where all of our private information be public? If so, what's the solution? Well, no, we won't. <coughs> Excuse me. Because we will never get to 100% pwnage. We'll never have everything breached. I think perhaps a fairer <coughs> analogy here is will we get to the point where there is a sufficient amount of information breached from different locations that if you piece it together, someone kind of knows everything about you anyway? No, because we'll never know everything. There will always be information that is bespoke, or, or sound like I'm talking about McLaren again. There's always be information which is specific to some services and, that, and it won't be breached. And if, if we think about it, even though it feels like there's a huge number of breaches, what proportion of the services you used have been breached? And it will be a very small single digit percentage. Even for me, it's like, okay, I'm in 30 data breaches, but I know that I've got a thousand, literally a thousand, more than a thousand different logins saved in one password. So what's that, like 3%. Um, but of course, I don't know how many other breaches have happened and I don't know about them yet, or they haven't been disclosed. So no, it, look, I, I know what you mean. It feels like it. It feels like all of our things are continually being leaked everywhere, but it's not quite as bad as, as absolute and it never will be. Uh... Okay, let's uh, let's do the last thing. So the last one I had on my list here, last breach here, was Apex SMS. Now, <clears throat> this is another one of those ones where I'd had it for a while and I just wasn't entirely sure what to do with it. But for some reason, and if I'm honest, I can't actually remember the reason, it popped up somewhere where there was discussion about it again and I was like, I should get back and have another look at that. Now... I linked to a TechCrunch article about this. Uh, let me just give you the, the intro here. So this says an unsecured SMS spam operation docks its owners. The database also stored personal data on more than 80 million people. The story here is from uh, Zach Whitaker, May 2019. 
a massive SMS spamming operation kicked out tens of millions of text messages pestering unsuspecting recipients with links to fake sites, flogging loans and free money. <clears throat> now, this was found by Bob Dyachenko. Bob is a, is a very well-known security researcher. He's found a whole bunch of particularly things like open MongoDBs. Remember there was a period there, and it was around that time, 2017, 18, 19, where there's so much Mongo being discovered, left open. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of people would find it via services like Shodan, where it's like Shodan, the search engine for the Internet of Things, including all of the unprotected Mongos. So... <clears throat> People would find these exposed databases, now pull down all the data, circulate in hacking forums, and eventually it may end up somewhere like Have I Been Pwned. So I went back and I had a look at the data I had on Apex. And <clears throat> it, it's a bit tricky because the incident is called Apex SMS. So this is the data that's circulating in the public circles. It's called Apex SMS. The number of accounts match up. The sorts of data that are stored matched up, uh, but there's no way of verifying it. It's not like a data breach of, of say, DB forums. Actually, this is not a good example. I was going to say DB forums because I could go to DB forums, I could go to the password reset field, I could put in, <coughs> let's say, a mailinator address, there's always a mailinator address, they're public mailboxes, put it in password reset and see if a mail came through, thus verifying that the data in the breach actually exists on the website. DB forums is actually defunct, it's been shut down, uh, the way I was able to verify it is it has my own data in there, uh, which was legitimate, and I know I had an account there as well. So I couldn't do that with Apex, though. You can't go to, you know, like the self-service of the phishing of, I guess some of it was probably phishing, but the spam site and go, hey, <laughs> does this email address exist there? But everything else checked out. I flagged it as a spam list so people know that it is spam. For those people doing domain searches, it doesn't increase the number of breached addresses, which might pump you into a different tier. Uh, it just it, it just is what it is. It appears to be precise to that data. Certainly the information sitting there against every account uh, looked legitimate. So that's gone into Have I Been Pwned. Interesting stat on that. If I look at the figures here, uh, what do you have? IP address, gender, geolocation, phone. 97% were already in Have I Been Pwned. Now, that is a very high hit rate when we're normally seeing around that 7-ish percent mark. Uh, why was it 97%? I would imagine, in part because this data has been circulating for a while, it's probably gone into some of the other lists that are in Have I Been Pwned. I would also imagine it possibly went the other way, where some of the data that's out there circulating was then used to build the spam list. And of the 23 million unique email addresses I loaded in yesterday, 3% of those, so what's that? It's still, still sizable, 60-odd thousand. Is that right? 600-odd thousand. Uh, of that 3%, then for whatever reason, they came from a different source to build up the spam list. What can you do if you're in this data reach? Not really very much. And this question often comes up, like, why bother to load a spam list? Because what, what are you going to do? You can't go to the website and ask for your data to be removed. You can't, but <clears throat> time and time again when I ask the question, and I've done polls on this on X multiple times in the past, and I said, look, if, if you're in one of these lists, you know, should I, or rather if I have one of these, like, should I load it or not load it? Do you want to know about it or not know about it? And I think the numbers were constantly around like 80% of people like, yeah, load it because we want to know. 
Now, doesn't necessarily mean you can do much about it, but I think just that little constant reminder of there's lots of data breaches, you're probably in things, it's good to know because when you get that extra spam or phishing or whatever else, you can just maybe just be that little bit more alert. Okay, so look, I think we're pretty much at time there. That is the last of the travel updates. Next week, I'll be back home. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to being back home. It's 32 degrees at home yesterday. Uh, That's Celsius too. 32 Celsius at the very start of spring. Apparently, it's going to be a super hot year. Um, It's going to mean a lot of time in the water. We're going to have to have a lot of, a lot of water time. Photos will be incoming from those. Thanks very much for listening this week. We're going to uh, we're going to head out very shortly, and I'll um, see you from the other side of the world next week. Cheers, folks.